The Journey Into Podcast Patreon is proud to present this Star Trek podcast, where Marshall Latham and Keith Tecklitz go where many Star Trek fans have gone before, talking endlessly about the Star Trek franchise. Please come and join us as we go trekking. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trekkin' here on the Journey Into Patreon. Once again, Keith Teclis and I, Marshall Latham, are here to discuss Star Trek. How's it going, Keith? It's going pretty well. I mean, it, it took us a while to finally get around to this, but... <laughs> it did. I, I think we were going to record an episode at the beginning of May. Yeah. Before Strange New Worlds came out. Yep. <laughs> and, and now it's, it's uh four weeks later pretty much. And uh yeah. and we're waiting for what, episode five of Strange New Worlds, I think, is about to drop, isn't it? Uh it's either four or five. One four of the, or five, yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Yes. Uh, life got in the way. Life got in the way, yeah. We we kept taking turns uh putting it off another week. Yep. So uh, but this time we're doing something different, something we haven't touched on before. Yes. And we're going to essentially review a novel, a Star Trek novel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many of these you've read over the years, but uh, I've probably read maybe three or four over the years, Star Trek novels. I think I'm about the same as you then. Um, I got... Harder into the Star Wars novels there for a little bit. And then, yeah, Star Trek, it was just like hit and miss. I'd pick one up here or there. It usually had to be focused on, on Bones. <laughs> right. More than anything. <laughs> so you you were mostly original series novels? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember reading the first Deep Space Nine one, but I don't remember anything about it. But I do know I read that. And then, yeah, I read some the original series, Bones. And then I've I've got a couple Harry Muds to read and a couple Pikes to read as well from oh, okay. older ones. And I know for a while I, I almost read, they were doing like a spinoff series called Star Trek Frontiers or something like that. Yeah. And I was gonna get into that, and I and I never did. But that that went for that was kind of its own series for a while, right? And I know new, new I know frontiers there was or something like that, something yeah. like that. They they did Titan there for a few novels, and I just never got into that. I it always interested me, but I never I never actually sat down and and read them. So yeah. Yeah, most of the ones I've read are uh, Next Generation ones. Right. So I think I may have read one of the original series as well. But it was a long time ago, so... (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Yeah, I think I did. I don't know if I've read any Next Generation, honestly. Yeah, there's some good ones. There's some good ones in there. Uh, I guess, typically, the novels are considered non-canon, but I know some things 
you know, more much more so than the uh, Star Wars novels that you mentioned. Right. You know, some of those became legends or whatever, but some of those right. have come back into continuity and all that. So, yes. But I think that the Star Trek ones have always been considered non-canon, similar to the comic books and things like that. Right. In fact, on the internet, you know, there's the the fandom site Memory Alpha mm-hmm. with all of the stuff from the movies and the TV shows, and then they have a Memory Beta for the non-canon stuff, and that's where you can find stuff about the novels and things like that. Right. So, right. Um, that's kind of funny, though. Let's <laughs> just split it out that way. Yeah, yeah. The, the this novel that we're talking about today is kind of a sneaker uh, novel. It's called the Enterprise War, and technically, it's a novel in the Discovery novel series. Yes, but it's only tangentially tied to Star Trek Discovery. It, it's right. more of a backstage. <laughs> Adventure of the Enterprise with Pike, Captain Pike and Spock and uh, Number One. It's it's a direct prequel to the beginning of season two. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of neat. Yes, uh, it was written by John Jackson Miller uh, back in 2019. It seems like I, I didn't realize it was that new when we started reading it and talking about it, but yeah. It's pretty pretty recent, so but I guess that ties in with season two of Discovery. Yeah, it came out right before it. The summer, I think it was in the summer. Yeah, the summer before Discovery season two started. So yeah. makes sense. But it tie for us. It ties really well <laughs> into yes. the Strange New Worlds as well. So absolutely, um, it'll all come together in this in this uh, next round of episodes that we talk about. So. Uh, let's see. How do we want to start this off? Uh, do, do you want to get us started or would you rather have sure. me do it? No, I, I guess I can start us off. Um, okay. Should we, do you want to start with the, with the crew? The main Enterprise crew that we're going to yeah, deal with? Yeah, the, the main Enterprise crew. Some of the, the main okay. people we get to know. Yes. So obviously it's, it's Captain Pike who we know from the cage and not much else before that, or other than that, up to this point, uh, when the novel came out. I mean, he you saw him right at the end of the last episode of Discovery Season 1. And I think, like I said, there's a couple novels that talked about him previously, but there's just not a whole lot to do with Captain Pike other than the menagerie and the cage. So, this is this is one of his, and... Obviously, number one's there uh, as his first officer, and Spock is the the science officer, not the first officer. And then for the engineer, we have Avdis Galagian. Galagian, yeah, Galagian, yes, and he's he's kind of the ivory tower theoretical engineer who just happened to, you know, wanted to sign up and and join in on explore for once. So he's the chief engineer, but he's, he's, this is his first 
tour of duty and he's much older than everybody else, but he's kind of like a legend in theory and coming up with these things and teaching at the Academy and all of that. And then you, a lot of the science that's built into the enterprise came from him. Yes. But like you said, it's always been in the laboratory and in the theory, not in the everyday work, work a day (laughs) experience of it. Yeah. And then probably, I mean, Dr. Boyce is there, but he he doesn't play that big of a role other than he's there. Uh, the the other person of, of note is probably Lieutenant Connolly, who's kind of a, a backup science officer. Yeah. Uh, and so since they're going on a mission of exploration... Science plays a big part, and this is just one of those times. Yeah, a couple uh, other uh, crew members that I I have written down here because I I had to start writing it down because I was I realized <laughs> oh I can't look up the cast and figure out who these people are I'm going to have to actually remember. Right. So I started writing stuff down. There's uh, I think it's Lieutenant Non. Uh, she's the security officer, and then there's Amin, who's the pilot. Yes. And then uh, who else do I have here? Ensign Colt is the communications officer. Raiden is the uh, helmsman. Oh, sorry. One more. <laughs> Gabriella Carlotti is is a nurse. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so that, that's all I got. I'm sure there's more people talked about, but. Yeah, but they didn't play as, as big of a role. They were maybe here or there. Yeah, I, I think, think we most got... of them are human, except, of course, Spock is a Vulcan, and uh, Raiden, I guess, is a uh, Katerian. Right, and Nan is a Barzan. Oh, okay. I, I didn't catch that, but yeah, that's good to know. Right. Yeah, Nan shows up and plays a, a role, somewhat of a role in, in Discovery, and I think Strange New Worlds as well. Oh, she does. So, we see her. Yeah, we see her. Oh, is she the one she, with the breathing apparatus thing? Yeah, like the kind of the headgear. Yeah. If you were thinking, okay. kind of looks like the old school braces headgear type right, thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, she. we definitely know her then from Discovery. So Yes. So, But anyways, the, the Enterprise War starts out and we go back to a flashback of Captain Pike in his youth going with some friends and they decided to go spelunking basically. And one of his friends uses a phaser to make the tunnel bigger instead of, you know, taking it slow and cautious and, and looking at everything. And it causes the tunnel to collapse. And during that time, Pike was able to save his other two friends, but the the person who did it, he was not able to save even, even though and he tried and he did a lot of things and it, it kind of stuck with him and made an influence on him of of losing a friend and it made him a little bit hesitant sometimes and cautious. And he also, like, very insecure almost. And yeah. then he also just doesn't like being trapped underground, which kind of played off a little bit in the cage where he... He did seem like a little bit more like a caged animal during the menagerie in the cage. We see that when he's underground and in the and trapped in the caves. 
And so it, it played a bigger role. Definitely. And it kind of ex- explains that a little bit. But basically, the, the Enterprise, we, we then flash forward to present day. And the Enterprise is tasked with exploring a nebula, which has just a whole bunch of plays, plays havoc with all their systems, including communications. And they, they find out about the Klingon war starting uh, from Discovery. And they're trying to get back home, but they just keep on getting ordered by Admiral Tyrrell to <laughs> stay and, you know, finish their mission and extend it and don't come home. And it doesn't matter. Just stay out there. And you are, we are a scientific unit, not a war unit. And you need to complete that part of the mission. So it kind of explains why the Enterprise wasn't around during the Klingon War. Yeah. And, and Pike really wanted to go back and help in the war effort. But yeah, I, uh, Admiral Terrell really <laughs> Vulcans him Vulcans it out of him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and, and we we know uh, Admiral Terrell from the Discovery as well. You know, he he's a yeah a Klingon and or sorry, <laughs> he's a Vulcan, a, a bald head, black skin, uh, kind right. of an intimidating figure for sure. Yes. Yeah, I think it's pronounced the Perg- Pergamum Nebula. Right. If, if I got that right, that they're in. And then, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Captain Pike kind of ruffles a little bit at the when he's told that this is a science vessel. Because he's like, well, then how come every time I come into space dock, you keep putting more weapons on my ship? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they talk about, like, phasers finally coming into effect and... All those types of things instead of just the the pulse. I don't even know what they called them, like laser pulse lasers or something. Yeah, lasers and, so and then just, phasers and yeah, all of those things. So, anyways, as they're traveling through the nebula to try to get out and communicate with Starfleet, they unknowingly get shot upon by a Lurian pirate ship, and the Lurians. That's they're a race that we've seen before from DS9. It's uh, Morn. Morn, right. Yeah, he's a Lemurian. From Quark's Bar. So they, they get, they're described as just absolutely idiotic and can't figure things out very well. Yeah. And that there's a few, few of them that are intelligent here or there, but for the most part, they're, they're kind of idiots. And it's amazing that they can fly in space at all. So, kind of like the pack lids or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, and the perfect example of this is they, they fire a torpedo and they miss the Enterprise. And they have one more torpedo left. And the communications officer is about to radio the Enterprise and ask them to slow down so they can catch up to him and fire again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so the captain, which his name is Baladon, shoots him dead right then. But then all of a sudden they're... Baladon's ship gets kind of assaulted and boarded itself by an unknown force because the the nebula is known for kind of like space pirates and or mysterious creatures that come and grab you and destroy you and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's a very naval folklore type feel to it. 
And so Baladon's ship gets captured, and it's just giant battle armor suits that come in and just completely defeat his crew. Uh, not killing any of them, just incapacitating them and taking them away. And taking anything that they want from the ship. Right. And so... And the, his, and the name his of ship, the, the Lurian ship is Deathstruck. <laughs> <laughs> because they they couldn't even get that right. It was supposed to be Deathstrike, and they spelled it wrong, Deathstruck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, they they really paint the Lurians in a, a poor light, except for Baladon, and they make him seem, you know, bloodthirsty, but also pretty darn intelligent. So the Enterprise goes out, they make their message with Starfleet, they come back and they decide to go to a planet called Suscatane and start exploring that. And as they're doing that, they they don't notice, but the ship that had captured Baladon's Deathstruck follows them and is is sees the Enterprise as this jewel of something to capture and everything. And so all they as the Enterprise sends down scientific teams to the planet, including Spock and Lieutenant Connolly and anybody else who has any scientific knowledge, they put them all over the planet of Suscatane with limited security details. And so what the unknown pirates do is they send like a kind of a, a shadow to distract Enterprise to the opposite side of the planet and they they find out that it was a nuclear weapon that went off. So as they're on the other side of the planet, all of a sudden all these... The Boundless. The Boundless. The Boundless, led by Cormigan, go and capture all the scientific teams and basically just web them up and capture them all with very little problems and Spock does pretty good at fighting back, but still, even he can't handle it and can't defeat them because they're in giant hulking battle armor suits that are pretty much impervious to anything. So they they're able to capture all the Starfleet teams, but then they set off nuclear weapons on that side of the planet. So Pike thinks that all of his teams have been just annihilated. Right. And so... He tries to fight back his ship versus the, the Boundless's ship, but it doesn't work. And the Enterprise gets damaged a little bit, and he doesn't do a whole lot of damage. So it kind of ends up where Enterprise has to run away. And so they're going through and trying to decide what to do and if they've lost everybody. And as they're going through and doing all these things, and they, they start to investigate a little bit more and more and kind of realize that maybe the science teams haven't been destroyed. They're not sure on that, but they're thinking that might be the case. And meanwhile, Spock and all the rest of the Enterprise that did get captured are now part of the Boundless, put in battle armor, which they can control as long as they're doing what the Boundless want them to. But if they don't, it just shuts down and then they're like a robot. And you find out the Boundless are in a a war against the Rangru and they're bitter enemies and they're like, well, we have to stop the Rangru or the Rangru are going to destroy everything. And you don't really know what the Rangru are. They don't really, they don't answer to hails. They don't communicate to anybody. They just go through and 
capture people and take them back themselves. So, yeah, and they, you know, it's interesting, you know, their their method of war is what they call recruitment. You know, so them stealing all the yeah. scientists and Spock and and even uh, Baladon and, and his crew. You know, they're they're recruiting for their war. That's how they get more people to fight in their war. And they, they mm-hmm. just need live bodies. They don't necessarily need warriors. Um, but they do find right. out that some of the scientists are better used elsewhere in their, you know, what they're trying to do. But, yeah, it's it's kind yeah. of a ingenious uh, system for, for right. running a war, you know. Kind of a, a slave trade, but then also they see it as the only way to ensure their survival. So, I mean, it's... It's complicated. It's been going on so long that like it's almost like people don't remember why they're fighting as much. It's just they're that's their bitter enemy and they have to destroy them. Right. And you know, we we don't know anything about the Rengru other than that they're the enemy. And they're these like mm-hmm. I don't know if you would call them insectoid or more of a like a crustacean kind of thing. But yeah. uh, just they have many appendages and and have a hard shell around them and, and whatever. When they encounter people on the battlefield, they'll jump on them and then insert like this sharp knife or t- tooth or something into the back of their neck. Kills they they view that as you know that person's being killed and they destroy them before they can suffer that kind of thing. Right. And yeah, it just seems you know. You, if it was a movie or something, you could really picture, you know, something out of uh, Starship Troopers or something like that, you know, where all these Ren grew right. are coming down. And or, or even kind of felt a little bit like the Borg, too. Yeah, a little bit. Like capturing capturing somebody to, to then use against. That's that's kind of the feel I got, too. So it's I don't know if that was intentional or not, that they they kind of wanted us to feel that or not just to. You know, this overwhelming sense of doom. If we don't stop them here, will we ever be able to? Yeah. And, you know, as Spock and Connolly, and that's mainly who we, the point of view Mm. that we have working with the Boundless, as they talk with Cormigan and, you know, learn learn more and more about the Boundless and and how, how they work. You know, Cormigan talks about you know, or they say as a battle cry, you know, for Cordavu, which we find out is their home world. It's Cordavu, and apparently right. the Rengru took over their home world, and, and that's what they've been fighting for ever since. Right. Yeah, so Spock is able to show that even as he resists and doesn't want to fight, he will fight for survival, and he does a very good job of it, and comes up with, you know, he, he saves other people, and you know, makes the sacrifice to to help the other people who've been captured by the boundless and forced into fighting. And he's able to make a deal that all of the Enterprise crew will work behind the lines doing support. And it kind of helps twofold because they're really good at doing that and helping develop the weapons a little bit better and improve the armor and makes the boundless a little bit more efficient. So it kind of works out well, but at the same time, Sparks, Spock's learning more and more and trying to figure out how to, you know, try to communicate with the Rangru and knows that that the Enterprise and is out there and that they still want the Enterprise. 
And so he's trying to help fight against that. So then it turns out, finally, they, the Boundless find the Enterprise and they're about to attack. And so they get everything together and, and Spock has come up with a plan on you know how to make sure nobody from the Enterprise dies and to go over there and try to lead the charge. And as he does so, he's able to eliminate the governor from his battle armor and kind of fights against the boundless. But then the Rangru also come in and attack and it turns into mass chaos. And as Spock is attempting to rejoin the crew, Pike is there to repel borders and just questions himself after the fact, but reacts and shoots Spock off the, the outside of the ship. Yeah. Right, right as he does like the Vulcan <laughs> live long and prosper. Yeah, because so, yeah, Spock's trying to think of a way. How can I let him know it's me? And he, he does that, but just before he gets ripped off the ship. And, but yeah, that that right. was probably the for me the, the coolest part of that whole the whole book. I mean it's all good. But right. this uh this ambush at what they call Little Hope, where they, they kind of yeah. lure the Enterprise there with uh with their probes and then but spock yeah, is right. able to uh put some coding in there on the on the probe that they're reading that just before they get ambushed at little hope they realize that it's going to be a trap and they try to do you know this fancy thing by warping behind them and shooting and moving somewhere else but eventually the uh, the enterprise is you know, put in a bad situation, they actually have to separate the saucer Great. section from the drive section. And to repel the borders, Pike starts to spin the uh, the saucer section to whip him off. <laughs> and uh, so eventually that, you know, Spock gets spun off and he goes floating out. And then uh, Baladon was there. He was actually fighting with Spock because yeah. he realized that Spock was trying to desert the boundless and Baladon gets uh spun off as well. So yeah, that that was really pretty pretty neat that whole scene at at Little Hope how that all yeah, played very, out. Yeah, very very cinematic even though we couldn't see it. It just it did. It it felt like a giant space battle. Yeah. And then to think that the Enterprise saucer section could have come off all that time. Didn't have to wait till next generation. I know. I was really surprised by that. I'm like, really? That was a big deal for next generation. There was this new thing for the saucer right? section to separate. But apparently it was there all along. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the original crew never used it either. So, Nope. But uh, they're, they're kind of left, you know, even though they, they do escape... And uh, mm-hmm. they they escape the Rangaroo and the Boundless, but the saucer section ends up on a methane planet upside down, like you know, floating in the in a methane lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we said, Spock gets thrown off into space and eventually feels oddly drawn to a certain planet, and so he right. and he's still in his suit, so he can survive for quite a while in his battle suit. And it gets him to that planet eventually. And so he's off by himself. And then the star drive section kind of hit itself in, in the middle of the the nebula. 
and uh, they keep getting scouted out by the Rengru. So if they try to go out and and look for the saucer section or whatever, the Rengru find them and they have to fight them off, and so they have to stay right. in hiding. And they're not doing very well either. Yeah, it's a dark time yeah, for the Kurvi Enterprise. Very much so. So it's tough all around. So I guess who? Do you remember who's on what part of the ship? Una and all the engineers, like. Except for the doctor. Galagian. Um, yeah. Galagian. But every other engineer and Una. And then I think. I think, I think the doctor, too. Yeah. Dr. Boyce is there. Boyce. And, but he doesn't really do a whole lot. But I think they're the ones on the, on the main section because it was. They thought there was going to be warp core breach, so it was just engineering, basically, and everybody else went to the saucer to try and survive. So, you know, you've got all these engineers there doing their best to repair the the main section, and then the saucer section, you only have Galagian, and then, like, most of the science team was gone, so then it's like the communications and the nurse that you mentioned. Yeah, and then we find out she's pregnant. <laughs> right. <laughs> And then the Non and Raiden, and I think who who was the Colt was Colt the one who was the communications officer. Yeah, he was a communications officer. Yeah, so I think it's it's all those things that aren't engineers or scientists, <laughs> pretty much, or on the saucer section. Uh, so Galagian and and Spock ends up on a moon that's in orbit around the methane planet. And eventually they're able to communicate with him and between Spock and Galagian and just the spirit and (laughs) will of Star Trek officers, they are able to flip the saucer section and get it facing the right way. Finally, And then eventually they're able to use it because it is lighter on the planet. They're able to to get out into orbit and go and rescue Spock. Right. Like just in time. He he was pretty much on his last leg. Yeah. I mean, he, he ejected from his armor suit and was, you know, he was just about to die and they, they were able to save him. But Spock had a vision of the Red Angel, right. which comes later in Discovery. But he gets a, an encounter with that, and so Spock eventually comes back, and he's being taken care of by the medical team. It, yeah, um, it's really interesting, because if you haven't seen Discovery Season 2, you, you wouldn't even realize what, what he was seeing or what the vision was. But after having seen it, you're like... Oh, okay. This leads right into season two. So right, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it plays a plays a big part into that. Yeah. So. And then Galagian really starts. He he went from kind of like all of his engineers doing all the work behind the scenes to actually like having to learn how to do all the things himself. Yeah. And teach himself from scratch, and he he earns the respect of Pike back. And, you know, proves that he's more than just theory and goes into Jeffrey's tubes and gets his hands dirty, which is something that he wasn't doing. Yeah. 
he he kind of redeems himself there. He does, yeah. And then eventually the star drive section under the command number one, they are able to finally change it up with the Rangru and capture a Rangru. And once they do, it becomes very docile. And they have it, you know, in the brig and behind screens. It becomes very docile. And number one decides to go in. She's like, no. They they realize that it's communicating via ultraviolet or infrared, I think, one or the other. And so the shields were blocking that. And so number yep. one tries to go in there, communicate with it. And it kind of attacks her and, and uses the little tactical and stabs her in the back of the neck. But she's able to, she like tells everybody, don't do anything. And so Boyce, you know, confirms that she's still alive, but she kind of passes out. And so they don't know what to do now. And they're kind of like, well, where where do we do? What do we go? How yeah, are we going to do like this? she's like totally enveloped in the, yes. by the rain guru. Yeah, it kind of becomes kind of like a, a parasite or something like that, where it kind of, they, they join together to become one being almost but yeah so boyce is in charge and after so long he doesn't know what else to do and they don't know where the saucer section is so he's just about to order them to leave the nebula and head for back for earth i guess at that of course at that point number one wakes up or whatever or is able to communicate with everybody yeah. Is that right? Is that how that goes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like just in time, just like they rescued Spock just in time before he would have died. Right. This happened just in time. Number one comes out of it right before they'd head back because they don't know if the saucer section's around or not. And so then you discover that the Rangru are trying to communicate and that's all that they're doing with the stabbing. It just takes a little bit of time to come together and, and be able to communicate with their host. And so then they can interact with the other races. Number one seems to somehow not just be able to communicate with the ring group, but then convince the entire crew of the Enterprise that it's okay that she's still in charge. Uh, even though she's attached to this alien that was part of the force that was attacking them not too long before. So it's pretty intense there. Yeah. but And then, and then eventually the uh, ring group discover the saucer section and you know they think they're being attacked but when the Rangaroo are able to to get into the saucer section they uh start I can't remember what it what, was it like follow the protocols or something like that or right. the directives follow the directives something like that they kept saying and eventually you know they they kind of took over the ship but they were communicating with pike and i think i think he at one point they, he heard una's voice or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And then I think, meanwhile, you know, the, the Boundless and, you know, Connolly wasn't able to escape. He's still with the the Boundless, and he's kind of joined up and, and helped them recruit, but tries to do it in a humane manner or whatever so that and avoid people getting killed. Right. And, you know, of course, Baladon's right there. I don't know, Baladon always cracked me up. He kind of reminded me of, is it Gimli from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> Just because he had that same gruff voice, you know. But uh, right. Anyway, you know they're they're still fighting against the Rangaroo, but then all of a sudden, all the Rangaroo leave this planet that they've fought over again and again and again, 
And they're like, where, where are they going? Why would they leave the planet? You know, it has vital uh, resources for us or whatever. And so Cormigan wants to go investigate and find it. And I think she, she gets some of the people to go with her. And, you know, she's kind of always in a tenuous political situation, you know, where she has sway or whatever. But then the whole loss at the uh, Little Hope kind of, she lost a lot of her cred. And so people are not listening to her as much right. anymore. But they go discover that the Boundless are, you know, with the Enterprise now. And and uh, the Saucer section and the Star Drive section get together. I don't think they actually... Uh, get it back together until later on but yeah till the end but by now we don't know exactly what's being communicated by the rengru but eventually pike knows the deal with the rengru and he's because una's communicated with him and he he understands things and so do you remember how that how they got together with the boundless well they they were all going to they they were heading towards like the the home planet or oh, something. Kudavu. Yeah, Kudavu. They were going to Kudavu, and the Boundless are are getting ready to attack. But then Spock helps the Enterprise shut down the Boundless's armor, and so they're able to capture the Boundless leaders. And they take the Boundless leaders with them to Kadavu. Right. And then they learn the truth that the planet was about to be devastated by radiation. And it happens on a cyclical basis. And the Rangru were one of the five cultures or races that lived on the planet. And they were trying to help everybody. But their attempts to communicate were mistaken. And so... Like the leaders of the Boundless, their ancestors are still living on Kadavu, bound with the Rangru together right. to survive. And so the Boundless, yeah, great great mother Udu, I think is is one of those ancestors, yeah. And that the Boundless are kind of split amongst their own leadership on what how how to do this. Like one of them joins the Rangru almost immediately. One of them tries to set off a secret bomb that they had and set it off to destroy the area. And Pike is able to grab that and go underground and put the the bomb in a mine. And, you know, going back to his the very beginning where he had to go into the mine again. Right. And he was able to escape with, with help from his crew at the very end. And so then uh, the Boundless leader... Cormigan is kind of split. She doesn't know which way she wants to go, but she doesn't want to fight anymore. And so that's the the Boundless are kind of broken up at this point and not fighting against the Rangru anymore. And the Rangru are kind of at peace because now they know, now that they've bound with Una, they know how to do it a little bit better. And so they're able to join with other Boundless a little bit easier. And so the Enterprise helps where they can and the ring grew help with their can and Baladon sets off with whoever's left of his, of his crew to colonize a planet. Right. And yeah, Connolly gets told, okay, well you did a pretty good job at doing things, but you're a little impulsive and I'm not sure how that's going to do. And you've got a little bit of an ego on you now. (laughs) 
So I don't know how that's going to work out for you in the future, but you know, I mean, you did you did take over and try to do things when nobody else was there. You had some good initiative, and so we kind of kind of just end up with Spock still kind of almost in a a coma, almost except he can somewhat communicate a daze. Yeah, he he keeps murmuring stuff over and over again, and he he did help a little bit in the uh, the activities after they saved him off of of the planet, but uh, right. or off the moon, I should say. And but yeah, he, he's pretty much in still in in bad shape as they're heading out of the nebula and heading back toward Earth. Right, and I, I believe they get news when they come out of the nebula that the war is over. Yes, and then uh, so they're they're ordered to come back, and uh, you know Pike kind of thinks about you know what what's he going to do in the future, and you know at one point he was going to resign. You know, again, I, I like great. how you know Pike he struggles with uh, the responsibility of being a captain. You yes. Know, even with the going all the way back to the cage, you know, they had had this confrontation or something happened at Rigel Seven that he lost some crew members, and he, yeah. you know, he was he just beat himself up over it. And then in this in this book, you know, when he thinks all the scientists have been killed, you know, he just takes that on himself. You know, it's his responsibility and. And again, you know, once again, he's he's going to resign when he gets back. You know, who's who is he to if he just leads people to their death and stuff like that? So I, I like right. that he struggles with his leadership, even though he's very good at being a a captain and a leader and taking charge of things. That toll it takes a toll on him when people right under his command get hurt and stuff. Yeah, and it's it's not like he he lets his crew know it. The only one who really knows it is Una. Yeah. And it's just, she's so, she just knows him so well and knows how he carries so much on himself. And so she, she's the one who calls him out in this one. I think in the cage she did a little bit, but I think it was also Boyce, Dr. Boyce that did. Yeah, and I like how they carry that on, you know, with his, his medicine bag with the martinis in it and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. At one point, I think Pike and Galagian. Uh, go and have a martini when they're yeah upside down in the methane planet but <laughs> it was yeah. a really good story a really good book very imaginative mm-hmm. i was yeah pretty much in the whole thing what wanting yeah. to know what was going to happen so I, yeah i don't know i haven't read anything else by john jackson miller but uh i i'm looking forward to reading more of his stuff don't know how many more, if he's written a lot more of, let me see. I think he's written a few Star Wars books. Yeah. And he he just, he's coming out with a new Strange New Worlds book, I think, but. Yeah, he's got, he did another Discovery novel, Die Standing, so I don't know which, where that is, but then he, he has also done, it looks like a Titan novel, Prey. And then a next generation. So I mean, he's done a handful of other ones too. So yeah, I mean, he does a very good job, and and I listen to it as the audio book too. Yeah, yeah, me too. Which which was, I enjoyed listening to it that way, 
but the, it was hard to <laughs> when I started realizing, oh shoot, we're get, we're gonna have to talk <laughs> about this, and I can't just look up people's names in a book. I'm gonna have to remember who they right. are. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Robert Petkoff is the narrator, and he did a very good job yeah, too. He did. Yeah, because as we know, with an audio book, the narration can sink a, right. a, a even a good book. But yeah, he did a good yeah. job with that. Do you have any like little tidbits that you enjoyed throughout? I, I took a yeah. notes on a couple things. Baladon was hilarious. Yeah, throughout he's great. the entire thing. And it, I, I had to eventually look up and see what what I mean. They were talking that he was a Lemurian. I had to look up and see what that was. And once I saw it was more, and it it kind of fell in place a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I mean that that was pretty good. I mean, there's there's a few other just. There he is, Baladon, and he's a pirate, and he's trying to catch somebody, and then he's the one who gets pirated. Yeah. Just little things like that. But then he revels in it. You know, once he realizes who the Boundless are, he's all in. Right. It's like, wait a minute, I don't just have to work with my my other Lurians. I can can work with other people who actually know what they're doing, and it it works. (laughs) Yeah. There was a couple small things, like... In the Star Drive section, somebody says something about the Botany Bay. I'm like, what? What are they, what are they bringing in the Botany Bay for? But <laughs> it was funny because they started kind of morosely. They all started reading uh, shipwreck stories from literature right. and stuff. And the one that most people were reading was uh, Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> right. And so that was kind of a neat little t- tidbit. And then they so they named the planet they that they were on Defoe. After the right. author of uh, Robinson Crusoe, and then when Pike was talking to Spock, when Spock was on the moon, and I really liked it. that was another part I really liked was their conversations back and forth, uh, talking about stuff. But uh, right. Spock named the moon Scones World after his grandfather, uh-huh. and but he he named it. Scone's world instead of Scone because he said there was already a planet in the Alpha Quadrant named Scone and he didn't he wanted to distinguish it from that and he goes as you know there are two Delta Vegas and I thought that was kind of funny uh, right in there because we we just talked about that when we watched the uh, 2009 Star Trek movie yeah that uh, one of the moons or something of Vulcan is named Delta Vega, but then going all the way back to the original series where no man has gone before. Right. They were on Delta Vega as well. So just little things like that were kind of fun to catch. Yeah. Well, the the little updates from the war, you'd hear little things and everybody's like, well, it's not going very well, but you don't know many of the details at this point. And you know, the, you find out that they're just, they keep on saying like the discovery is still missing. Yeah. That's one of the big news. And that the, oh, what's her name? The Admiral who got captured. Cornwell. Cornwell. Yeah. That she got captured in the, and Giorgio and all of that. Yeah. And they, they mentioned the Battle of the Binary Stars by name. And yep. of course, they talk about Michael Burnham since, you know, Spock's relationship with her and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I recommend this. You know, we, we've talked about it here for almost an hour, but uh, we're just kind of right. scratching the surface. You know, we, we've given the broad strokes of the plot. 
but there's there's a lot of stuff in the details of it. Oh yeah, I, I sure. like the evolution of uh, Galagian and uh, yes, just you know, <laughs> I've worked with people like him, and so I totally could relate to the type of guy he was, you know, and that here he is right. put in this situation where he has to to get the practical yeah. side of it as well. Well, I will say I, I did read or I did listen to a different book by the same narrator, A Contest of Principles, which was an original series one. Oh, okay. By Greg Cox. And I will say that the narrator, even though he does a very good job on this one, the original series, you can just listen to him and it's it's him throughout. And he changes his voice to Spock and Kirk and Bones oh. so well that it's almost like you can hear him. Huh, and it, he did do Spock very well in this. He did, just yeah, like you the, could definitely tell the cadence Spock. of speech. Yeah, he did a very good job. So I guess uh, well, I, next time you're going to have to pick the novel when we get around next time. So. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> we got a whole lot of series to go through before do, it gets to that point. <laughs> but I'll be interested. It's kind of fun to read these, so. It is. It is. I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, yeah, hopefully uh, our audience enjoyed this as well. I, I'd, I'd be interested to know if if anybody comments on uh, what Star Trek novels you've read and, you know, what what's your opinion of those. So, yeah, we'd, we'd like to hear your comments and questions. If, if you're hearing this on the main feed, you know, we, we do go through... Every Star Trek series, starting at Enterprise and going all the way to Picard, yep. we will be picking up Strange New Worlds as we go through this next time, which is the the new series that's out that has this crew right in line with things. Or, you know, it's all about them. And so right. uh, this, this falls right in line with that. So uh, if you want to catch up with us over at the Patreon, you can go over to uh, patreon.com slash journey into and uh join the three dollar tier the trekker tier and uh you can catch up on all of these or if you join the five dollar tier you get all of these and you get the comics cave that's true that's true so and i do enjoy the comics cave oh good (laughs) so and there's lots of extra and early stuff there on patreon as well so yeah check it out uh, we'd love to have you over there and and uh, hear your comments and questions and things like that. Absolutely. But I think this time we're we're ready to to close the the book <laughs> on this one <laughs> and uh, let you get back. And uh, but we'll be back here next time uh, shortly, talking about the second half of the first season of Enterprise. Yes. So uh, we'd love to hear from you there. Or, We'd love you to come back for that. And until next time, Keith, live long and prosper. Peace and long life, Marshall. Good night. Good night. This particular episode of Trekkin' was produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no-derivative license which means that you can share it with as many people as you would like, but you cannot change it or sell it. And please let people know where you got it from.